of Everything show where we try to make sense of our biggest questions and problems. Today is episode 10, and we will be having on a brilliant guest. Her name is Marie Obsepian. She's a researcher here at Oxford doing her PhD in cognitive science, religion, and how to make sense of all of those things. Now, I'm super stoked about today. There's a few reasons. One is Marie is going to be joining us here live. So if you watch on YouTube, you can watch us chat in person. I have found in my history podcasting that doing interviews in person is a whole other ball game than doing it uh, at a distance. For some reason, it's immensely more distracting and harder to do a good job. So we'll see. We'll do our best. Uh, and also, of course, Marie is extraordinary. I went to a talk that she gave last night. She was speaking at a pub in town, like upstairs, this beautiful old pub in Oxford with these chairs arranged um, around her. And she talked about the importance of holding doubt and questions and uncertainty while also living with some kind of faith. She is uh, practicing Christian, uh, but her she's poetic and insightful and the kind of person that when you're around them, you all of a sudden realize that you've been too hectic or too out of touch with your being or uh, too absorbed in your day-to-day -day life and not at all enough you know, in touch with uh, the deeper, things in life that can make you feel calm and centered and purposeful and meaningful and all those sorts of things. And so it'll be a really, really great honor to bring her on here and, and have her, you know, sit alongside us. Let's see, today is episode 10. I'm going to check my notes real quick, but I'm pretty sure that this is coming out close to the holidays, Christmas-ish, um, the, the week before, I believe. And that's really exciting. Right now, it's way ahead of that. It's the beginning of November for me still. I haven't, I try to record these ahead of time uh, to give everybody enough, you know, cushion to get their ducks in line. And by everybody, I mean me. I need to get my uh, stuff together. Um, so anyway, I am really excited about that. I've just barely begun doing my thinking about the holidays and, and what I want to buy people because of course it's just a really, really fun time to go out and buy a lot of stuff for people. It gives you an excuse, you know? And so I'm, I'm really excited about that. I don't know. I'll let you know in a couple months time how that went, I suppose. Um, I hope for you that it has been and continues to be a, a joyous and warm season. I know a lot of people have really great holidays surrounded by a lot of you know, really supportive and communicative individuals and, and then the others of us don't or have heartbreak for some reason or another. And so uh, I am holding that space for all of us and uh, wishing you all, all the warmth this season. So anyway, that's that. Uh, our podcast stuff, starting with the next episode, I believe I will be announcing winners for people who have entered the book of way by writing a review of the podcast, which is super exciting, super exciting. I can't wait to start giving books away. I have a list of books that I really love that are on my bookshelf, my personal bookshelf that I am sort of recommending for reading and also will be giving one of those away a week. 
stephanieruper.com slash book giveaway, all one word or slash podcast. And then you can get, you can click there from the links on, on that page. And uh, yeah, so you can check out the books and they're really great and it's the holidays. And so maybe you want to, you know, poke around and get some of those books for people, you know, anyway, um, that's all the stuff you can listen to this on most podcast platforms. If there's a podcast platform that I haven't heard of that I'm not on yet, please let me know. There's so many these days. It's really hard to, you know, to keep up with the times. So let me know, of course, whatever I can do for you. And now, of course, uh, most importantly, I will be bringing on Marie. So she's going to be here in person. I'm going to go meet her uh, at the lodge outside and then bring her in and I will, we will be right back. Okay, so here is Marie. Marie, can you can you pronounce your name correctly for everybody? Uh, Maria <laughs> That's Russian. That's Russian. That's well, Russian. that's actually Armenian, but hey. I'm Russian so friends. ignorant. <laughs> I'm so ignorant. Um, okay, so can do you want to tell us then a little bit about your story? Like, sure. uh, I don't know, personal stuff, work stuff, maybe how they they go together you know sure whatever yeah, that's exciting how much time do i have <laughs> uh 50 minutes oh exciting wonderful well i'm um i'm originally from russia that's where i grew up um i'm probably not quite identifying strongly with being russian since both of my parents are not from russia my father's armenian my mother's also third culture and um i grew up in a very multicultural multi-religious context um with so many different worldviews and languages and perspectives and that really shaped who I am in deep, deep, profound ways, I would say. And um, in, in many ways kind of taught me that there is no such thing as a view from nowhere. And you always have to evaluate all of these multiple textured realities before you make any decision. Sometimes it can be paralyzing. So um, in, in many ways, I guess, growing up, um, I was thinking a lot of... Um, say, for the question of religion, my grandmother's Muslim grandfather, atheist dad, agnostic mom, was profoundly confused about all, all of these realities <laughs> when I was a child. And, and I remember actually actively thinking as a, you know, seven, eight-year-old that I can never choose a religion for myself because that would offend uh, everyone in my family because it's, it's so uh, varied, you know. And um, that's, that's kind of, again, what I was growing up with. But today I, I find... I find that background really helpful, actually, with research and particularly in the world of academia. So, yeah, I, I always loved questions, always loved exploring things, and um, always felt very much drawn to mind and culture and um, religion, which, um, through a very long journey <laughs> through a variety of areas in research, eventually I'm now in science and religion, um, building the bridges between cognitive uh, approaches to religion and more cultural understanding of things and trying to give space to both. Hmm. So what is your, okay, so you come from a very multicultural background, mm -hmm. which gave you a way to understand different ways of thinking and feeling in the world. Yeah, yeah. thinking about thinking. <laughs> thinking about thinking. I know people, I'm sure that my listeners are so tired of me talking about like methodology. <laughs> Nobody gives a f about methodology, but um, yeah, it's important. So. Uh, that's not unrelated to what you like work on, right? Uh, yes, in many ways that that has been shaping my research. Both um, back in the day when I was doing psycholinguistics, cognitive science, when I was actually trying to understand, um, there's this whole area um, within linguistics. Um, called linguistic relativity theory and kind of how language shapes the mind or shapes uh, our reality today and 
um, again, it's kind of, there, there are all of these oppositional forces and in any sort of area, of course, there's Chomsky and linguistics, which is much more about structures and, you know, sort of everything is way more scientific, so to say. And then, of course, the moment we bring in culture, things get messy. And, and it's really interesting, completely unintentionally. I, I try to walk away from that and wasn't even looking in that direction, but somehow my research right now is again shaped around those conversations where I look at um, theory of mind and uh, within cognitive science and religion approaches and how actually um, our way of thinking in the West about theory of mind might not be the most helpful way of thinking about theory of mind. Perhaps there are different theories of mind, so to say. By theory of mind, do you mean ways of conceptualizing the mind, or do you mean those like specific? Mm-hmm. idea that we have of like humans being able to empathize right well um there are different ways of course you're absolutely right different ways of uh talking about it or conceptualizing this sort of vocabulary um um i think both in a way so there is of course a psychological term of it which would be um kind of a way of mentalizing acknowledging that the person in front of me has uh, a mind to begin with, <laughs> a mind that is different from the world. And that's like um, kind of unique to humans, right? Which, well, kind of actually. Yeah, there is a lot of controversial research on that, right. but it seems that to the extent that we possess it, it it's, seems to be at least pretty unique, um, which is interesting. But again, we, we have this one way of conceptualizing that in the West, and um, right now some exciting ethnographic research is coming out that is suggesting that perhaps um, there are more ways of thinking about it, more ways of thinking about thinking, which in the end results in a very different way of experiencing the world. That I think is controversial, but really interesting. Okay, so this isn't what I brought you on to talk about today, but it's, (laughs) but I I need to, we can connect. I need to learn things. I need to learn things. Yeah. So what 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 did you bring what are what are the other ways of <laughs> what are the other ways of talking about? so because i've encountered the, quote unquote theory of mind with yeah. a capital t and a capital m in the mm-hmm. literature for years and years and years oh, absolutely and it's always talked about at, like in psychological literature evolutionary stuff mm-hmm. it's always talked about as this mechanism that evolved mostly probably in humans yes uh in which we can like perceive that other people are thinking and feeling things yes what what are the other ways <laughs> or like one or two other that is, ways oh absolutely that's such a really question so um tanya lurman is an anthropologist uh at stanford university and a cognitive anthropologist so she's abridging all of these areas of research are to do with mind and with religion and cognition um uh, she's the one who wrote this fascinating book called when god talks back uh, trying to understand the experience of American evangelicals. And uh, what they did in 2011 at Stanford, they had this very interesting conference where she brought together a bunch of different anthropologists, ethnographers, psychologists, linguists, and um, essentially asked them this question, well, what is a theory of mine and how do we, um, what is it that we actually see if if we work in other cultures? And um, kind of by way of leading that in, um, probably what you did want to talk about more today is a bit more about a, for recognition and extended mind and kind of all of that encultured, sure. embedded, embodied stuff, which really links into that um, in a really powerful way, I think, because 
um, I'll, I'll, I'll bring in Charles Taylor. <laughs> okay, he's a theorist of modernity, everybody. Brilliant, brilliant theorist of modernity, but he talks about porous and buffered self, which Tiny Lurman picks up on hmm. and says it's not the self he talks about, he talks about the porous mind. And, and that, that becomes a very interesting distinction in, in um, approaching theory of mind as a multiple variable, so to say, where um, kind of that whole experience that we have, again, in the West, where Taylor begins by asking, why is it that in the 1500s, it was impossible for us not to believe in all sorts of witches and demons and spirits and ghosts Mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. And somehow today, you know, we, we just walk around uh, and experience the world very differently that that is not part of our experience not part of our reality and it's not just about belief it's it's that question of experience what changes about the experience so mm-hmm. he talks about that porosity that there's something about that porous self that allows us to kind of experience the world differently and um Tanya Lerman picks up on it and she says that there's something about that porous buffered mind distinction and then she talks about other cultures and how in different cultures um people do experience the world differently. And actually the reason I got very much interested in, in her research was from my own personal experience of, again, having friends from other cultures. And I remember one time uh, walking just down the road um, here in Oxford uh, with my friend from Uganda um, and talking to her about just, I don't remember what we were talking about, but, but she at some point just said, Marie, have you ever, have you ever met a witch? Mm. <laughs> I said, well, if I have, I, I probably don't know about that. <laughs> And she said, well, you know, I, I one time I, I saw a witch turn them into a tree. Mm. Uh, and she was studying here in Oxford, doing the same program. So it's not some sort of, you know, kind of loopy statement she was saying. It was, you know, kind of statement of her experience. And um, as much as I wanted to take it seriously, without even thinking immediately, my response was, what do you mean a tree? Do you, do you mean that he's... <laughs> Symbolically? You know, exactly. exactly. <laughs> so I guess, is it that he sort of develops a sort of disease that looked like bark on his skin or his arms grew stiff and looked like... You know? So it's just like started asking all these questions that whether it's a conceptual thing or a metaphorical thing or... And she just looked at me as if I'm, I'm completely... She was like, really, Maria was a legit tree. Yeah, yeah. She was just like a, a tree. It was a tree. Wow. Um, and I was like, oh, what on earth is going on? Because, um, again, I don't feel like... Um, I have that right to completely dismiss a statement of a completely sane person, you know, and then just uh, dismiss her experience. But at the same time, my framework um, does not allow for anything that that would explain that, right? Yeah. And that's where I got really interested in um, ethnographic research and um, where Lurman brings in some of the Melanesian and, uh, culture and, and talks about actually pers- perspectivism as one of the theories of mind, which uh, suggests that um, there's not a clear boundary between mm. different minds. And actually you, you, you can um, have an experience of experiencing the world as a human or as a, um, say, leopard. And then you have an experience of, um, at least there's an expectation in the culture where you can turn into. Mm. And it's kinda, I think that, that, that frame, framework um, is interesting because it, it says something about how we perceive our minds, how we think about thinking might actually mm. have more to do with how we experience the world. It's really interesting. You know, I also, I have uh, a group of friends, uh, several of whom are from different areas in Africa, and there's a lot of black magic is what it's mm-hmm. called, mm-hmm. practiced. Absolutely. And here at Oxford, and they're legit, like, spooked you know that like it scares the hell out of them mm. um and i i i find it really interesting because the way that we think about quote-unquote magic mm-hmm. in the west mm-hmm. is 
like again like a singular actor yeah creating some sort of spell yeah or something whereas really what you're saying here is that in another framework or in another way of existing people are participants yes much more like interconnected mm -hmm. and so magic in that sense or you know whatever is transpiring between people mm -hmm. it happens in a much more like collective or interpersonal oh, way yeah absolutely yeah they're, wow, that's they're, fascinating they're very daily sort of examples of that where again we're talking about cultures and sort of uh, buffered mind or extended mind and i think we can again we don't necessarily have to sort of juggle all these fancy terms you can just talk about extended mind which actually is a term as well but but i think a much more <laughs> you know workable term and um again I'm, I'm coming from a mix of middle eastern and european cultures in my own family and i've definitely witnessed both um, and, and the mix of both and, and thought a lot about that. And um, then it was also really interesting moving to the States and then coming, uh, living here in, in, in Oxford uh, for five years and just seeing how, how the Western sensibility sensorium is so mm -hmm. radically different. In the East, again, you have a more extended mind. Traditionally, there are the Asian cultures, the Eastern cultures, there are Middle Eastern cultures. There is uh, much more extended sense, sense of self. And again, Lurman and, and her colleagues, Eve Bentinger as well, they talk about this idea that um, in Asia, for instance, uh, that there is an assumption that a host would be able to read the mind of the guest. Um, whereas in the West, uh, it is this idea that um, that kind of buffer itself or I don't even know what to, to call it, atomistic self, kind of that closed self. That <laughs> it, it, like individual, individual, like a singular. Maybe. Singular, yeah. Unless, unless you communicate your desire, unless you communicate um, your mind is not known. So mm. there's that, that subtle distinction, which... I have definitely witnessed a lot in my own life where, um, you know, say in, in Russia or in Armenia, if somebody offers you something, it is kind of, kind of politely would normally say, oh, no, thanks, I'm all right. Um, but the host would always have to guess whether you actually want it or not and then mm. offer you again if, if they think that you do want it. Whereas um, my, my first sort of like dinner in the States where people asked me whether I wanted dessert, I was like, oh, no, thank you. They're like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> wanted that I learned quickly <laughs> that's interesting yeah so it must be it must be really really fascinating and also like personally challenging to have to like navigate right so we've spoken a bit before mm -hmm. about your experiences living in a world in which people have somewhat more extended cognition mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is to mean like more communal more interactive uh, and then living in the States and living here in the UK where people are very singular, right? Mm -hmm. We have this very like individualistic idea. Um, so what, what, like, are there particular things that are like nice about each way of being? Are there, you know, there's there like a pro con list. Do you have a pro con list? Right. Wow. Great question. I don't know if I have a list, but definitely for sure. I feel like I've become sufficiently bicultural, bilingual, <laughs> in, in a way, because um, I definitely have witnessed moments when um, somebody visiting me from my home culture, uh, from my family even, would just sometimes not be able to interpret some of my behavior here or mm -hmm. some, some of my way of being, actually. Um, and it would be almost foreign and almost um, almost strange in a way. And, and I do blame the culture. <laughs> Uh, for that in a way. I think um, Again the way the way we think about who we are the self the way we interact with the world um, 
I do, I do, I do think that both are necessary because no man is an island. And uh, sometimes in the West, we do go to the extreme of that individualism and choice. Choice really matters. But at the same time, we do need to remember that we're all connected. Um, but also there's nothing, nothing good can come out of, out of the perspective that makes, makes the individual so insignificant that they lose themselves and, and lose the sense of self. I think particularly for women, it is very important because again, I kind of grew up with the perspective that um, most women would identify themselves through always and only through the relational networks they have that their wives, mothers, and mm. you can see that on Instagram or whatever, Facebook, if you go and you read sort of first, you know, line, the bio thing, it, it, it more often than not. Mother, friend. Mother, yeah. mother of, friend of, wife of. Whereas uh, it was really interesting to me reading those bios. And I, I noticed the difference, say, in the States where everyone's like, CEO. <laughs> People here are like thinker, dreamer, thought leader. <laughs> yes. You know, and I, I, I think, again, I'm not saying this is the way to go. That is the way to go. I think um, for the fullness of human experience, we need both. Mm. And the question is, how do we hold both? And um, I was reading recently Luce uh, Gray, French philosopher, a wonderful feminist. Um, who wrote the book called East West, and that, that's where she also analyzes a lot of that kind of textured conversation and talks about the mm. matter of air, the importance of spaces in between where we kind of um, create that. Um, I guess theologically, I find that also very interesting because from uh, um, kind of my Christian perspective, which is also very much informed by um, Eastern Orthodoxy and um, Trinitarian sort of Christianity, which is that, that, that is very strongly highlighted where I'm coming from. There's that idea of hypostasis, which is the sort of self, that kind of uh, core of the identity. Um, and then there's the ecstasis, which we get the word ecstatic from, which is the mm. outpouring of love. And, and God is um, described by both the hypostasis and the ecstasis, the idea that the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, and kind of the whole kind of Trinitarian lingo there. But also it's that constant outpouring out of that dance that, that creates the world, that, that is the essential definition of love. And um, I think if we talk about sort of theological anthropology, to me, this is the fullness of human experience, being able to keep that kind of Western self-identity, uniqueness of, you know, I am not you, you are not me. But at the same time, there has to be that ecstatic exchange between us. Otherwise, I mean, otherwise, life is so boring. <laughs> you know? Nothing happens. Yeah. Learning is not happening. Love is not happening. Friendship is not happening. Nothing can happen in the world that is the world of hypostasis we, we need that mm. aesthetic yeah we do I had an interesting conversation yesterday with a friend where I said something they were talking about the trials mm -hmm. of love or whatever and I said mm -hmm. well the thing the thing about humans is you're kind of you're screwed if you do and you're screwed if you don't right, right? like you will be hurt if you engage people because loss is inevitable mm -hmm. in some way in some yeah. form or another and you will be hurt if you don't because you'll be terribly lonely and the thing is like we, so we may as well we may yeah. as well love right and we uh, and we need as social creatures we need it and so yeah, um that like ecstasis mm -hmm. is that that the word yeah. yeah uh it it comes with sacrifices in a way but it's mm -hmm. sort of the thing that makes us human absolutely yeah i think i think that's what it is and I think that's what also, in a way, in a funny way, characterizes so much of our world, the way we're rethinking mm. physics right now. And 
uh, biology and so much of the kind of networkism is coming into the conversation on every possible level, mm-hmm. relational ontology. I think, I think something is shifting in the way we think about the world and ourselves and I find it very exciting. Yeah, it, it is really exciting. It's so in the West, we have a history of sort of progressively individualizing and thinking about ourselves as very solitary, rational creatures. Um, so do you think this phenomena that has occurred in mm-hmm. which we have become somewhat Cartesian, as you mentioned <laughs> in your talk last night, which by which I mean uh, thinking beings and we have become solitary you know we've thought about ourselves as like solitary thinkers mm-hmm. right is is that sort of an aberration in history is this is this like one of the only times that kind of thing mm-hmm. has happened if we i mean if we look across mm-hmm. cultures and back mm-hmm. in time this is it's kind of unusual is it mm-hmm. not I think it is. I think that's such a great question. Uh, I'm, I'm not a historian, so I probably wouldn't be able to speak into that with any, any amount of authority. But I've looked recently into imagination and how thinking about imagination has changed so much in history, depending mm. on culture, but also even in the West. You know, the way uh, we thought about imagination in the Middle Ages as, as something that actually was pointing us towards truth and actually revealing that was an embodied thing and how that, again, with well, Descartes, and I'm not trying to demonize Descartes, but a lot of, you know, um, well, maybe bastardized ideas of Descartes definitely have shaped um, our culture today. And so um, that became just in your head, this sort mm. of almost uh, derog- derogatory term, right? It's just, it's just imagination, you know? And so um, I think the same thing here. Um, it's, it's, ideas have consequences, right? Yeah. It's, it's not just, um, it's not just a word on a page. Um, they, they shape, they, they do trickle down at some point from, you know, these thinkers and, armchair philosophers, you know, the, those ideas travel yeah. far and wide. And then what is really interesting to me as well is that within one culture, you can sometimes have very clashing uh, ideas and very clashing clashing sensibilities, which I think today, the West today is probably characterized by that. It's not so much uh, just one thing, I guess, that whole mm-hmm. multiculturalism does have a fruit in, in the fact that um, it's it's hard to kind of do research or even even just acknowledge that this is our main way of thinking here today because I don't think there is one. Mm. Just an interesting multiplicity. So we have to always account for that. Yeah, we do. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that what's happening in the West right now feels particularly sophisticated <laughs> or even that far ranging. You know, I think that there's there's a lot of people have a lot of different ideas about what's best. Mm. but sort of on a still within the Western framework, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're sort of pushing about politics, which is important right. and we, and we should continue to be pushing each other around politically, but, um, but we're not, we're not like moving towards like an extended self. I don't think we are. No, I, I in yeah. fact, maybe the, I mean, <laughs> and maybe social media will, will make it so that, you know, the way that we're relating to it right now, I think kind of entrenches us in this like individualistic, somewhat egotistical model 
I, I, uh, I think social media, at least the way it operates today, just locks us in on ourselves even more. And that's, that's the sad thing. That, that is actually an interesting thing when, when we think about extended self and all, all the different ways that, all the different things, the matter that shapes who we are. And when we bring in social media, and actually, yeah. um, the question is, well, this is one of those primary technologies that are shaping who we are. And um, again, it's, it's fascinating to me that, you know, there are already people out there in the world um, who were born with these technologies and who cannot even imagine the world for real <laughs> without those technologies. What, what, what does that mean? Well, like, could we, like? <laughs> could you and I imagine what the world were like without writing? No, <laughs> not really. No, no. And it's, I, I really, I really, really, really don't think we can That's because right. our minds are shaped around the idea exactly. that information can be written down. Exactly. It's just, it, it, it blows my mind. And I, I keep every once in a while, I mention it on the podcast and people are going to be sick of it. And it's a cornerstone of, you know, the, the book, the book that I'm working on. But I think we really tend to radically underestimate the extent to which our technologies are technologies, you know, oh, very and, much so. and are integrated into, into who we are. And I've never really understood the field of transhumanism. And in fact, anytime I've ever heard, <laughs> we can talk about this over dinner, but anytime I've ever heard <laughs> the phrase like transhumanism, and I can't tell you how many conferences there are today on yeah. like transhumanism, yeah. post humanity. And I just sort of like roll my eyes. I'm like, I'm so not interested in that. I don't even know what it why? means, but I think it. <laughs> why are you not interested? I don't know why I find it like just like radically off-putting and uninteresting. I'm just like, <laughs> shake man and walk away. But transhumanism is, <laughs> does have something to do with how the human is evolving into the future. Yeah. Well, yes, in a way. I, I mean, there are different ways to think about transhumanism. I, I think I, I think a very broad way about it. I think the way, you know, Marvin Minsky said, to be human is to be transhuman. Mm. Uh, we always transcend who we are. And it's just, just what you said about writing. Like, in a way, that's just another technology. So the moment we picked up the stick, we became transhuman, I think. Like, mm. That's my very broad and generous way of thinking about it because we have extended ourselves already. And, you know, that, that, that first technology started shaping it. Matter, you know, lively matter is shaping us as much as we're shaping it. And I think it's, it's I, I think it's really interesting, even with writing, what you just said, you know, how, how different that is from narrative cultures. And again, uh, the, the cognition that is based around the narrative and, and the arc of the narrative, whereas mm. um, I, I find very often that, that the way I think naturally is the way I do in my research, I, I have to have a map, my map, because uh, I don't think linearly. And, and then I literally have to figure out how to translate my mind map, which uh, ideally is not even, you know, mind map, the 3D mind map, the way those connections have to happen in, in my head. Mm -hmm. Then to translate that into the linear word on paper, the strings of words and strings of sentences, that is one of the most stressful things for me actually in, in research. And, and I find that um, you know, it, but in a way that, that 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 is what the culture is today, right? And mm. that is part of what is shaping research and part of what is shaping um, the conversation, the discourse. And I know I, I think that's interesting the way that stuff works. Have you? Is this why you learned German? Have you? <laughs> no, that was part of <laughs> part of my degree. This, this <laughs> is okay. This this is a this is a joke. This is a philosophy joke. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> Nobody else would know, probably not know. Most German writing is the most linear, 
argument you will ever encounter in your entire life and it's enormously frustrating and i can't like i can't <laughs> i really i want like a nice neat introduction and topic sentences you know mm -hmm. making the argument and then a conclusion anyway this is not important what we're talking about at all <laughs> But if anybody like if anybody tells you that they read a book by Kant or Hegel or Schelling or Fichte or read anybody, just be really impressed or ask them questions because chances are pretty good they understood nothing. Um, okay, I have a. Do you have anything you want to say before I? Oh, yes, there is something I want to talk about. So we've been talking a little bit about uh, this idea of the extended self extended mm -hmm. cognition like being in relation yeah. with with people i won't preface it i'll let you preface mm -hmm. it how does this relate to your affinity for and the concept of horizontal transcendence oh wow <laughs> extend itself and horizontal transcendence um well, there is a lot of interesting post-secular uh, research right now, post-secular thinkers um, challenging um, the theological concept of transcendence, which is um, a kind of binary between the world of immanence, which is here and now, and the world of transcendence that is out there and not necessarily connected mm -hmm. here and now. And I think um, that the perspectives that challenge this are all the perspectives that are to do with our body that are saying, um, there is no transcendence that is not embodied transcendence because we are embodied creatures and for us to experience transcendence is to experience our bodies and transcending our bodies and and that's where horizontal transcendence comes into the conversation um, and probably links in some way I haven't thought that through yet but links I think to extended cognition which is also very much about the idea that we're not just brains in that or just disembodied minds floating around mm. the world that we are ingrained to begin with that we are embodied that we're embedded in the culture that again uh, human is not just the solitary unit that to be human is to be extended into the relationship and connection with another human mm -hmm. so um that's where i think horizontal transcendence begins that i and thou where martin buber kind of talks about two ways of being the you know i and it objectification ultimately and i and thou the relationship and i think that i and thou and lucery gray who is post-secular thinker she uh, also talks very much about that i and thou that that space that space between us the air between mm -hmm. us that is essentially can be connected in beautiful ways into theology and the Holy Spirit, uh, and and that space that is the space of connection, the mm. productive space, um, and I think that that's the beginning of it. And we, it's it doesn't just happen between humans; it can happen, you know. Uh, again, Martin Buber talking about I contemplate a tree. You know, he, he has this beautiful, beautiful passage in, in his book that I love so much. And you can look at the tree, and you can you know objectify it in some way, and kind of come to it already knowing what you think the tree is. Or you can sort of try to summarize all the different perspectives from biology, from every possible science you can apply mm. to a tree. And would that actually, you know, tell you anything about a tree? Probably will, something. But um, to really know what the tree is, you need to encounter the tree, to treat uh, you as a bow, you know, in a way. Mm. And, and in, in that meeting, in that space in between, which is some level of horizontal transcendence, uh, something happens. I think there are 
fascinating, uh, fascinating perspectives, Armad, from neuroscience right now. There is so much about the small self and uh, the experience of transcendence, where we actually, the moment we kind of come into that space of awe, um, the perspective on self becomes smaller. I think that mm. that extends itself. It's, it's again finding vocabulary to translate, you know, the, the neuroscience into theology, into philosophy, yeah. into all these different things. But I, I find it interesting that uh, thinkers all over these different disciplines are actually thinking about that mm. um, and asking those questions. So, yeah, thank you. That's um, that's helpful and interesting. I have been thinking about horizontal transcendence. Uh, and, and extended cognition. Mm -hmm. I've been planning on having Marie on for a while, and so I've been thinking about extended cognition because this is a conversation we've been having. Um, and so transcendence is typically, it's like historically what we think of in the States, in the West, as what you do when you like spiritually reach for God, right? Because Plato, way back in the day, thousands of years ago, said, hey, the way that we connect, we connect with God upwards, mm -hmm. right? And we escape from this world. Mm -hmm. And that is very, it has always been like a very solitary idea. Yeah. yeah. You know, like these are the, the roots of, of the West and the way that we are today go, go really, really deep. Mm -hmm. Back to Plato and, and probably further, you know, early Bible stuff. But that, and that is sort of, I think, challenged by this idea of imminence, right? There's transcendence and imminence and we pose these against each other and imminence is sort of being in the world. It's not a vertical, mm -hmm. but, a, mm -hmm. but, a, but, a, but a horizontal thing. And so I've been thinking about extended cognition as sort of this more imminent, right? Mm -hmm. This more, um, we're together here yeah. right now, yeah. you know, and finding ways to experience the kind of, overcoming of selfhood i think mm -hmm. that's an interesting way to put transcendence you know people trying to overcoming of selfhood within with the, you know this this world that that we're on here oh, yeah. or yeah. like within like across and with people as opposed to reaching for some like abstract you know d d heaven heaven abstract heaven yeah, maybe no, and 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 this this is sort of this is slightly more common, or at least some of the ideas of experiencing love mm -hmm. as religious and what have you, like interaction mm -hmm. in the Eastern Orthodox tradition. Yeah. Oh yes, yes. Wow, there are so many different things that come to mind. Well, to begin with, um, again back to neuroscience, there is. Um, this fascinating book called Neuroscience of Religious Experience by Patrick McNamara mm -hmm. uh, from you. Boston University, <laughs> your alma mater. And uh, he talks uh, about this mechanism of decentering of self there, uh, which um, he describes as something that actually um, happens in a variety of contexts, um, including, you know, experience of awe and wonder out in nature yeah. or actually sex is one of those experiences or experience of God kind of again that transcends we talk about and he's not going deep into philosophy of you know what kind of transcendence it is but but I think maybe you know and Taves talks about this kind of building block approach to religion and perhaps there are also building block approaches we can you know invent <laughs> towards transcendences mm. because um theologically when we talk about God I think uh 
at least Christians oftentimes, again, uh, can be very platonic about it, which is not necessarily the orthodoxy or at least the orthodoxy of incarnation. You know, mm-hmm. if, if we bring in, uh, I was talking about Beheimatung, this kind of Heimat idea of home uh, in German and the idea of God literally behoming the world. Mm-hmm. Um, ideas of deep incarnation, fascinating ideas that, you know, uh, when God has incarnated himself in Christ, it's not just, you know, humans, it's, it's matter. Right? It's, it's mm. every bit of dust, it's the stars, it's the trees, it's the animal world. It's just incredibly beautiful. And so, of course, then, uh, if that is the kind of God we talk about and the kind of transcendence we really talk about, then we should be able to encounter that in the imminence, in, in the encounter mm. with, with the world, which I find that a lot of people encounter uh, this way for me it was definitely my my journey as well um growing up again as i said there are so many different perspectives and i was committed to not committing <laughs> to anything but um as much as it was also an intellectual journey of exploring perspectives it was also um very real experience which happened through the world not escaping the world but through through mm. the beauty through nature through you know encountering god in, in those things as well <laughs> Sorry, that sounds private, so I'll ask her about that later, and we can leave Sorry. it. We can leave it at that. Um, yeah, no, I think we've been talking for about forty-five minutes. I haven't been watching the clock like I, I, I normally like take really rigorous notes. Um, yeah, so thank you for coming. I thank you. Yeah, we we discussed it. <laughs> Marie's again one of those one of those people, a, a brilliant type of person who's constantly dropping quotes and names into conversations she's like oh like leonard cohen once said and you know what who did you all these people i wrote you know i wrote it down so anyway i will uh, i will provide links to um books and the people mentioned uh in this uh in the show notes which you can find at stephanieruper.com slash 10 this is episode 10 so yeah um stephanieruper.com slash 10 will be those notes and do you have like anything that you want people to follow or just yeah explore, not yet explore those things yeah explore those things and if, yeah email me and I'll <laughs> and I'll ask her questions for you um okay thank you um thank you